Hello, and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9 a.m. or for our more traditional service at 11 a.m. We also stream full services live on our Facebook page. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So today we're going to close out this series we've been doing on heresy, which I'm sure somebody's very glad we're doing. Uh, but I, I understand that it has not been an easy journey to look at the ways in which that word and its ancillary terms, heretical, heretic, have been used not only to name, but to also make claims against people. As we talked about the last time I was here, Pelagius has been forever kind of deemed irredeemable because he has not only been labeled a heretic, but we've named a heresy after him. Today we have the same with Martian. And that's not like Marvin Martian. It's Martian. M-A-R-C-I-O-N-I-S-M. Martian. Uh, Martian existed in the very beginnings of Christianity. And what was happening was Jesus had ascended and the original apostles had probably already passed on from this life. And Christianity was still trying to figure out exactly what it was, what it believed, and what the future was going to be for these people. Because it was during this tumultuous and yet exciting time in the life of Christianity where not only were there Jews who were converting to Christianity, but there were a multitude, thanks to Paul and his ministry, a multitude of Gentiles that were becoming Christians. And they were working out some of those kinks in the system, like do Christians have to first become Jewish because Jesus and the first apostles were all Jewish, and then they can become Christians? Or is there another path? And they were working all of these things out. And then they started having some of the more difficult conversations where we start to wonder whether or not these opinions, these ideas, these theologies are correct. And one of the things that Martian did was he looked at the canon, right? what we read as our scriptural authorities. And he started to look at those, and because Jesus was Jewish, and because the first apostles were Jewish, and Paul was Jewish, a lot of citation in those teachings and preaching was coming from the Hebrew Bible, the Christian Old Testament. But Martian didn't like what he read there. A lot of people over the course of Christianity have struggled with what they read in the Old Testament. Understandably, there's a lot of things happening in the Old Testament, and a lot of them are lessons like, don't do this. Not, here's all the wonderful things we're going to do together, but look what happened when we let sin run rampant and we turned our backs on God. Let's never do that again. But unfortunately, when Martian read the Old Testament, what he found was that he could not reconcile the depiction he had of God. And you've probably heard people say something like that, like, the God of the Old Testament is so vengeful and angry, but the God of the New Testament is so loving and full of grace. Or somebody may say something along the lines of, well, I love Jesus, but I'm having a real difficulty with this God and religion thing in Christianity. Without realizing how offensive that is to God. 
because God has remained the same. It is we as humankind that have continued to expand our understanding of God. And so the other problem is that people wrote down the scriptures. They told the stories first in oral tradition, then they wrote them down, and then they perpetuated them, and some people edited them, and some people did not. And what you end up having is that a lot of people have had their hands on the scriptures. And if you ever grew up and played the game telephone, you know what happens when you start to ask people to repeat the same thing back. Generally, by the time you got to the other end of the cafeteria, it didn't sound anything like the beginning. And especially when you hit the point where the one person is like, I don't even know what was said. And people are like, what? And you're like, I just made it up. Keep going. Because you don't know what's happening and you're overwhelmed. And so there's a lot of things that happen during the course of God's interaction with humankind that is difficult for us to make sense of. We weren't there. We don't know. And there are a lot of things throughout the scriptures that are problematic for us. If any of us could have the opportunity to go back and change some things around, I'm pretty sure we might consider making some edits. Sometimes to get rid of things that sound really harsh and cruel. Sometimes to clarify things so that people won't think that Jesus was being especially snarky that day in Mark. All kinds of ways in which you can edit some things. Well, Martian decided to do that. He decided that because he believed that the God of the Jews was not the God that sent Jesus. He decided to get rid of the Old Testament entirely. Makes your Bible a lot lighter, but also very problematic because he didn't stop there. He looked at some of the gospel accounts that were floating around, and he decided that he was going to make it even simpler for the people that wanted to continue his theological line of thought. He was just going to use Luke, an edited version that he, of course, edited. And then he took only 10 of the epistles or the letters that were attributed to the Apostle Paul because he wasn't really a fan of the other apostles. He was more a fan of Paul. He actually wrote that Paul was the only true apostle because Paul had been called by the resurrected Christ. And so that that was the lineage by which we should be following teachings. And so he only wanted to use 10 of Paul's epistles. He didn't include at all what we now call the pastorals, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Kick those out of there. And then once you have 10 letters, do you really need more? So he didn't add in the other epistles. And he especially didn't add in Revelation, which would make a lot of Bible studies a lot simpler. But instead, he got down to this very small amount of scripture. There are 66 books in the canon of the Bible that we read all across Protestantism, 66 books. And you have more if you're in the Catholic tradition. And so when you start whittling them down, you might seem on one hand to be making it more clear, more concise, more accessible, but what you're also doing is removing access to certain beautiful things that God has said and done. For instance, our gathering liturgy today from Isaiah was talking about how God was promising through the words of the prophet to restore God's people. The world has not been kind to you. The world has done wrong to you and you have suffered, but I will restore you for you are mine and I love you. And then, the scripture that we just heard a moment ago is perhaps one of the most beautiful declarations that Martian edited out, where God says at chapter 31, verse 3b, I have loved you with an everlasting love. 
Does that sound like a vengeful, hateful God to you? I have loved you with an everlasting love. And if you have ever loved anyone and known that your entire understanding of the world and who you are as a person and who they are to you is so crucial to life that you can't imagine being without them, then you have had a glimpse at the everlasting love that God has for you. But unlike humankind, God never falls out of love with us. That love never ends. Even when these bodies do, God's love for us remains steadfast. An everlasting love, says God. I have loved you. Not I will love you or I'm kind of in love with you now and it's getting better. I have loved you before you were born. This same prophet Jeremiah declares in the conversation that he has had with God where he said, I'm too young. I can't possibly do what you want me to do. The Lord responds, I have known you since you were in the womb. I know exactly how old you are, and I have loved you with an everlasting love. When Martian edits that out, he deprives us of those beautiful declarations. He deprives us of a fuller glimpse at who God is because he wanted God to look very specific because that's what spoke to him. Understandably, our theologies are surely shaped by our experience and our thought process. The Methodist quadrilateral will call that reason. It's shaped by the communities and the traditions in which we are grown and in which we live. It is shaped by the scriptures that we have heard and read and how they were explained to us. All of these things are shaping our personal theology. But it doesn't mean that we should simply get rid of the things that don't fit in our theology because they will never fit in someone else's. And we have to give Martian some credit here because when he edited the canon, it actually forced the hand of the early Christian leaders and they developed this canon. They said, absolutely you must have the Old Testament. Absolutely you must. For otherwise, what does it mean if you have words in red that are quoted from the Old Testament? If you took the words in red in some Bibles and you decided to take things that were found in the Old Testament in blue, you'd have a lot more purple than you ever thought. Jesus quotes not just Isaiah, but the prophets. So many people miss that when we describe on Good Friday the crucifixion and one of the testimonies of the last words that Jesus said were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We misinterpret that as somehow God or some part of God turning God's back on God the Son, Christ, the incarnation of God Almighty on the cross. But because we do have the Old Testament, if you go back, you will find that what Jesus is saying to the crowds and all those who have access to the scriptures from that point on, he is speaking a psalm. And if you go back and you read that psalm, it continues to pour out not only the suffering that I am willing to endure for you, but the redemptive love that will transform that suffering into salvation. And so if you remove the Old Testament, it actually shapes our theology in a negative way. Now, they exist, these Bibles. Every now and then I see one, and it gives me the heebie-jeebies, where I will see somebody have a Bible that has maybe just the Psalms from the Old Testament. You know, the ones that are like, I love you, God, you've saved me, and now dash my enemy's babies against the rock. 
we'll keep those in there, that's fine. But they get rid of all the rest of the Old Testament so that God cannot declare in Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. We'll include the four gospel accounts because why not? We have them. We'll include most of the epistles, if not all of them. And usually they throw revelation in just for something saucy at the end. So you end up having this kind of anathema that deprives you of the richness of the narrative of God's constant abiding presence and love with God's people. Now, maybe what Martian misunderstood was that you do have a personal relationship with God. Absolutely. God wants an actual intimate relationship with you. But your relationship is not private. Oh, no. God has been inviting through that invitation to a covenantal relationship that includes not only you, but others. Sometimes it has ripple effects with your family. Sometimes it's your circle of friends. Sometimes it's your coworkers, your, your fellow students. Sometimes it's your neighbors. But that God is inviting us into a relationship that should bless others as we are blessed by the personal relationship with God. If God had meant for your relationship with God to only be private, then Jesus would have told you to put your light under a bushel, would have told you to stick it underneath the bed, would have told you to hide it so that no one else would ever know. But instead, if we go back to the covenants of the Old Testament, what we find is even when it seems like God was only having a conversation and initiating a relationship with one, miraculously and probably very intentionally, God was blessing the many. God says to Abram, I invite you to go to this new place. Go to this new place, to this no, new land where you don't know, where you are a stranger. And there I will establish you. But in establishing Abram, God established Sarai. In establishing them, God would establish Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac. Every relationship starts to be affected by the personal relationship that God Almighty initiated with Abram. We see it in the transformation of his name when he ceases to be Abram and becomes Abraham. But Sarai ceases to be Sarai and becomes Sarah. Again, you have this relationship that is spilling over into other relationships and establishing a covenant. And not only is God faithful to the covenant with Abraham, but God is faithful to that covenant with his son and his son's son and the people that will come forth from that. Because God is not a private God. God is a personal, loving God. Because you have to really love somebody to put up with what God puts up with. I mean, you've known people if you had the power to smite, would you? It's a hard thing to live with people. It's a hard thing to live with people you love. Try living with people you tolerate. And yet God says, I love you. I love you. I am willing to guide and guard you. For centuries, people misunderstood after Jesus what the law was. By the way, you can fix some of that if you don't have the gospel account of Matthew where Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. What law? Well, we'll just get rid of Matthew. We won't have that problem anymore. Instead, you have Jesus declaring that what God was doing 
in the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, the Christian Old Testament, was trying to help us to understand that relationship and covenantal relationship especially is about accountability. Your most profound relationships are the ones that are so authentic and so binding that they can be honest with you and hold you accountable. And that's a hard thing. When I was growing up, as I'm almost 10 years older than my sister, oftentimes I was called to babysit my sister. To which my sister constantly replied, you're not my mom. No kidding. I'm not your mom. And my sister one time said to me, you were so bossy. What's this were? You were so bossy? I was like, these are called leadership skills. And my sister said, you used to tell me what to do all the time. And I said, I wasn't trying to tell you what to do. I was trying to help you be successful. Because I love you. I wouldn't still be talking to you if I didn't love you. I love you. But I also see your potential. I see greatness. I have glimpsed it. I have been blessed by it. But if you don't help people to hone it and encourage it and strengthen it, then they might or might not use it. They might not go to the lengths that they can to bless others and to be a blessing and to be joyful. They might not go there on their own, so you need to help them. God is doing that for us every day of our life. I love you and I know your potential because I have known you since before anyone else even laid eyes on you. We think we're at a beautiful place in humankind because literally, just a couple of months into a birth now, we can get a 3D sonogram and actually see the face of a child in the womb. That's amazing. You're 17 weeks late to God's vision. God has already been watching that face form and develop. And long before you conceptualize and speak or write the name of the life within that womb, God has already called them beloved. Because as Jeremiah said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And it's important because in this entire discussion about heresy that we've been having over the course of the past few, we few weeks, what we've discovered is that people like to use names to hurt. We'll use Pelagius' name in order to name a heresy, Pelagianism, so that anybody ever learns about that incorrect thought, they'll know that he is a heretic. Well, Martian is no different. I'm sure he didn't sit around and go, I wonder how I can lead people astray, free up some room in heaven. I'm sure that's not what he did. I'm sure, like all of us, he has wrestled with what he has heard and read in the scriptures. Like all of us, he wanted to know, wanted to know his God and know that that God is everything that he hoped and dreamed that God would be. But he got caught up on what people had interpreted. And he got caught up on trying to control that vision. And one day he approached Bishop Polycarp. This is right about 18, oh, sorry, 140, not 18 anything, 140. He approached Bishop Polycarp, and there is a 
interlude that happens here that may not be completely historically accurate, but there's a quote that is attributed to Polycarp, where Martian presented himself and says, you know, do you know me? Do you recognize me? And Bishop Polycarp responds, oh, I recognize you. You're the firstborn of Satan. That's a bishop. But my siblings and our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, churches still say things like that to people. Because we don't internalize what God says in Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And if Martian had been reading Jeremiah, maybe he would have been able to look Polycarp in the face and say to him, no, I am not the firstborn of Satan. I may not be entirely correct, but I am not irredeemable because God has loved me with an everlasting love. But he deprived even himself of that comfort. And so it is important that we have the Old Testament. It's important that we understand that no matter how much humankind have put their hands and their marks on anything that is here, and the United Methodist Church believes that Scripture is the inspired Word of God, that at the beginning God was inspiring things, and hopefully God was still working through it through the end, but we are human beings, and so some things might not be entirely accurately what God wanted us to have. But God is at the core, and sometimes we must dig a little deeper. But if you have the scriptures, you have within them the ability to push back when someone says you are not beloved, to push back when someone says that you are the spawn of Satan. You have the ability to say, you might think that, but God does not. Because one day, we're all going to be gathered in the kingdom to come. And one day, we're all going to be there and everyone's going to have the opportunity to experience things as it was meant. And maybe on that day, Martian will actually get to encounter Jeremiah. And Jeremiah will say, did you hear? Did you know that God has loved you with an everlasting love? And just maybe... Maybe when those blessed, grace-filled words permeate his new spiritual body, Martian will understand that God has always been in love with humankind, enduring even when we broke God's heart, persisting when we turn our backs and walk away, and never never letting us think that God doesn't care and love us. And just maybe Polycarp will be nearby. Or maybe they'll be roommates. I do a lot of seating charts in my head when I think about the kingdom to come. And I think about I try, to, I try to imagine what was going through Bishop Polycarp's head when he was saying something like that. What was going on with you that day that you would say to him, I recognize you as the firstborn of Satan? Uh, what, would, what, what would make you say that? And I suspect it's this. I bet he was angry. I bet he was afraid. I bet he was angry that somebody would 
have the audacity to get rid of the Old Testament. I'm sure he was angry that somebody would dare to disparage God by going, no, the God of the Old Testament isn't even God. Not at all. The Jews weren't just wrong about Jesus. They were wrong about everything. I'm sure that that angered him, and I'm sure that he was scared that other people might believe that, that other people's faith might be immediately turned and truncated. I'm sure he was scared that this might have untold ramifications throughout history if it got a stronghold. But he forgot what Jesus tells us in the Gospel account of John. I give you a new commandment. You will love them as I have loved you. And how have we been loved? With an everlasting love. A love that persists when our minds don't want to. A love that endures when our bodies are too exhausted to continue the relationship. We have been loved with an everlasting love. And the one who has been the conduit, the bringer, the Emmanuel of that love has said to us now, because I have a personal, intimate relationship with you, you will now love them with that same everlasting love. And that's the hard part, to love as we have been loved. But Martian didn't know that we had been loved with an everlasting love. And so he was excommunicated from Christianity in 144. And he was told that he was so far out that he could no longer be with the flock. But we serve a God who says, I will leave the 99 to go get the one. You and I do not have the ability to go get Martian. But we do live in a time where neo-Martianism is happening. The next time you hear somebody say, I really don't like the God of the Old Testament, may you be inspired by the same Holy Spirit that came upon Jeremiah to say, you know, that same God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And when someone says to you, you know, I really like Jesus, I just can't get with the whole religious thing. May you be reminded that we are an imperfect people who have been perfectly loved. With an everlasting perfect love. And so, yeah, it's messy. But this is what we have been called to be. This is what we have been called to do. And we have been called to this because it is through relationship that we are transformed to be our very best. And this past week, my little sister turned the same age that Jesus was when he died upon the cross. And part of me wanted to go, see, you're not all that bad. You're welcome. But the other part of me goes, you know, it's been amazing to see how she's changed. It's been amazing to see how she has thought outside of the box and she knows who she is and she knows what she's good at and she knows her passions and she has carved out a life for herself and with her husband. And that's not because of me. 
but I am very grateful to have the interpersonal relationship that I have with her. And that's what God is giving us the power to have in our faith, not just with God, but with others. So whenever you hear those Martian terms coming up, whenever you hear those sentiments about people who are like, you know, just give me the Gospel of Luke, may you feel the empowered response of, it's all God declaring that we have been loved with an everlasting love. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.